0: Before we get started, I wanted to take a moment as a church family and uh, acknowledge some uh, heartbreaking news that we had earlier this week about our dear sister, Kim Toomey. Um, And uh, we are praying for Maddie and Preston, who we consider part of our church family, her two little precious children. We're praying for Patrick and Sandy and Kim's dad. Uh, We love her. Um, We miss her. Um, But we're going to do whatever we can do as a church to make sure that those kids have about 300 surrogate aunts and uncles and that they get more Christmas presents than any children in the city (laughs) every year. And I mean that. We're going to do what James 1.27 says we're supposed to do. Take care of the orphans, the fatherless, especially ones that are part of our church. So just be praying for Kim's family in that process. I hate to begin on something that is so negative, but I want to get to our sermon this week. We're almost done with Mark. We probably have like three, maybe four sermons left at the most. Um, And this week I've called this sermon Thirsty for Justice. So Megan was just talking about in her prayer, justice for all. Do we really know what justice means? I mean, we have in our mind, we have a thought of what justice is, but And we know that, for the most part, most of us say that we love justice. Do you love justice? I mean, when justice is served on the guilty, is it not a cause to celebrate? It's funny, though. I don't think that we actually love justice as much as we think or say we do. We love some justice. We love external justice. When it's put on other people who are guilty, like, for example, have you ever been on the interstate and somebody just blew by you at like 90 miles an hour, right? And then just a few minutes later, you pass them and the cop car lights are going, yes! Sweet justice. That justice is darn fun, ain't it? I've celebrated it. On the other hand, have you ever been pulled over or ticketed for barely exceeding the speed limit, like 10 miles an hour? How did you feel about justice then? Well, this is garbage. I wanted to use other words, but I can't. (laughs) Did you celebrate the fact that you were busted? Did you celebrate the fact that justice that you deserved was carried out? Or were you angry and frustrated? Have you ever seen someone publicly held accountable for something that you are guilty of or were doing as well? And then suddenly, like, when you see them being called up for something and you know you're guilty too, you get real quiet and very humble and spiritual. Except for God's grace, there go I. Well, you did go there. You just didn't get caught. (laughs) See, this week, I will tell you, I was writing this sermon And then for two days of me writing this sermon, all eyes were on the George Floyd murder trial. Yes, I'm going there. On Monday night, everyone was anxiously awaiting the verdict that was supposed to come the next day, wondering what would happen. Will justice be served? Will there be riots? Will there be violence? And most of the nation was awaiting the jury's decision on justice. And and moments after the verdict came down, I noticed on social media, it just exploded with people celebrating justice. And some were probably not uh, celebrating the justice. But of course, most people... We're celebrating what they believe was justice rightly served. And listen, celebrating justice is a natural trait. I'll give you more information on that later. But watching everyone celebrate what they see as justice also reminded me of something else how often justice is never served. Not just in America, by the way. We like to beat up on America, but all of humanity has a problem with justice. particularly justice that we ourselves deserve. And the relevance of this week's passage made writing this sermon surreal for me, very pertinent to the week's headline. So let's read the passage from Mark 15, 16 to 20. And the soldiers led Jesus away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him, and they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him, mocking him, of course. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak they'd put on him and put on his own clothes. Then they led him out to crucify him. So let's look at the history of this passage. I want you to see this group of Roman soldiers are hungry for justice, and I'm going to tell you why. Did you know that Roman soldiers in Judea in the first century were habitual victims of violence? I'm going to say something very controversial here. I know that surprises you. (laughs) To some degree, I'm actually, and don't get me wrong here, don't judge me, but I'm a little bit sympathetic to the soldiers in this story. Roman soldiers are stuck in Judea, thousands of miles away from their family, and they are frequent victims of mob violence. Bloody religious zealots like Barabbas' mob that we talked about last week. These soldiers were a constant target of political violent extremists and these soldiers were in fact targeted to send a public message to everyone and passover this week that's happening all this is going on right now passover was actually the best time for these acts of bloody violence against roman soldiers because jerusalem is full of soldiers and sojourners during the passover and the soldiers are there extra beefed up uh, forces to keep peace frankly the Passover week is the best time to create chaos by killing a Roman soldier. So it, it seems logical in actuality that we can deduct from that that Barabbas, who had been arrested, and his crew had been arrested for a recent incidence of violence against Roman soldiers. But soldiers, they're forced to be in Judea. They don't want to be there. They'd rather be with their families. And ironically, zealots like Barabbas saw shedding Roman blood as what? Justice. Well, they deserve it. Rome shouldn't even be here. It was celebrated. Imagine how the Roman soldiers felt against people like Barabbas. And with the recent violence of Barabbas' mob still fresh, the soldiers are now thirsty for justice. They hate zealots. But what happens is they are given a substitute target for their justice. See, the sedition of Barabbas and his mob was well publicized. As a matter of fact, in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew calls Barabbas a notorious prisoner. Everyone knew who he was and what he had been doing. And many actually, I don't know if you know this, many actually very strongly speculate that the two thieves, quote unquote, that were hanging on either side of Jesus and the cross were part of Barabbas' mob. I, I conclude with that. So here they are, the day they're preparing to receive Barabbas to enact their justice on this murderer, the convicted leader of this group. But suddenly Barabbas is now released. And the Sanhedrins, the Jewish people, their king of the Jews charge has successfully shifted the blame from Barabbas for leading this mob to Jesus. They've made Jesus out to be the leader of Barabbas' insurrection. Now, Pilate knows this is not true. Jesus has hardly ever criticized the Roman government. But he hands Jesus over to the soldiers... As if it is. And why? Because he has another political reality he has to deal with. Releasing Barabbas created a problem with his soldiers, did it not? And the generals? Because they won't get the justice they crave, that they're thirsty for. And Pilate risks his generals complaining to Caesar, saying, Hey, Caesar, Pilate allows murderous insurrectionists to go free. So when Pilate hands Jesus over to the Praetorian Guard, which would be the equivalent of Roman special forces, now they get the justice they want. They are handed a guy named Jesus, who, by the way, is innocent, but is convicted of the same charges of Barabbas. And between between Caesar, the Sanhedrin, and the soldiers, is it safe to say we've gone over this the last few weeks? Jesus sure did complicate Pilate's life quite a bit, didn't he? He's got a lot of problems with Jesus. But I want you to see what happens there. These Roman soldiers, they're celebrating justice. And they're serving it themselves. The soldiers have Jesus in their custody. They're serving out their justice. They're getting their pound of flesh. You know why we know they were thirsty? The scripture says that it was a whole company of soldiers that went and took Jesus away. You know how many that is for one person, one prisoner? 600 soldiers show up to take possession of Jesus. Do you really think they needed 600? I probably think 50 would have done. They're there because they are ready to take out justice. Barabbas may have escaped justice, but the verdict against Jesus, king of the Jews, paints him as the real leader. And the soldiers are enjoying carrying out this justice. And they're doing it with zealousness. They are are bold. They are brazen. They are confident. They put on this purple robe, which indicated and kind of mocked his royalty. They pound a crown of twisted thorns into his head, and they're verbally Verbally and physically abusing and mocking Jesus. As a matter of fact, the words, the first word we see here is "apozomai." It's a Greek word. It means to welcome, to formally greet or embrace or salute like you would a king. So Jesus comes in, these 600 soldiers. He comes into the Praetorian Guard there, and they go, Hail Jesus, King of the Jews. Then they start beating him. And then while they're beating him, they call him King of the Jews. And the next Greek word is impazo to jeer at, to deride. It's justice they adore. It's justice they celebrate. It's justice that is satisfying the Roman soldiers' thirst for revenge. And frankly, if you'll allow me, it's everything you love about justice, isn't it? Look at the spiritual. What about Jesus? What does he do and why and how does he do it? I want you to see that Jesus is receiving justice from sinners. And it's ironic justice. Here's Jesus, right, the Son of God, receiving justice from the hands of Gentile soldiers for bloodshed that they suffered. Gentile Roman soldiers carrying out justice for bloodshed that they've suffered, never mind the fact that they are one of the most bloodiest armies in the course of human history. But listen, it is not an irrational conclusion they make about Jesus. I mean, let's be real, Jesus during that week was quite visible, was he not? Not? He caused a scene several times and now they think they have the king of the Jews responsible for killing their fellow soldiers and now he's going to get what he deserves. Their thirst for justice on Barabbas is now satisfied with Jesus even though Jesus is innocent. So ironic, isn't it? Members of the brutal Roman army celebrating justice carried out on Jesus. They celebrate justice but you know what the problem they have is? They are completely oblivious to their own guilt. It's justice they deserve themselves, but they're carrying it out. They also have no clue, by the way, who they're carrying justice out on, the Son of God who will one day, in fact, judge them. It's a tragic irony all through this. And what we see here is we see colliding celebrations. Jesus was the ultimately wrongly convicted person, but also the most celebrated. The Roman soldiers aren't the only ones celebrating justice being served on Jesus. Jesus. Jewish justice is no better than theirs. The Sanhedrin are thrilled to see that justice is carried out on Jesus. They are fine with Roman Gentile soldiers beating him. The crowd was celebrating the release of Barabbas and yelled, crucify him. They're celebrating justice. The Romans, the Sanhedrins, the crowds, they're all celebrating justice. If they had Facebook back in, they would have gone on Facebook and celebrated it. Finally, we got this guy. And while they celebrate justice together, they all deserve justice to be served on them for one reason or another, whether it be corporately or personally. The last thing, however, on their minds is their own wickedness, their own guilt, their own potential exposure to justice if it were brought upon their heads. There's no thought of the ramifications of their own depravity if they ever got everything they deserved. Isn't it tragic irony? But Jesus makes himself a willing substitute. The Jews, the crowd, the soldiers, even Barabbas, his followers and family, they're all celebrating as Jesus faces, quote-unquote, justice. At any time, Jesus could have stopped all this madness and carried out true justice on all those who deserved it. Now, that would not have caused very much celebration, would it? Had Jesus taken the power that he has and said, you know what, enough of this. They wouldn't have been celebrating that. But Jesus doesn't do that. He chooses to endure injustice, the mocking, the torture, everything Barabbas deserved, Jesus is getting in spades. In fact, Jesus is the only innocent player in this whole saga. Yet he's the one subject to frail, flawed human justice. He allows it to happen. What tremendous love, what humility, what service, and what incredible patience. I would not have been able to stand. If I was in his situation and I was receiving injustice and I had the power that Jesus did to flip the table and say, no, no, justice is mine, says Joe, I probably would have done it within two seconds and I would have enjoyed it quite much. But it's really stunning what Jesus does. So here's where I'm going to get a little controversial for you today. I want to talk about the personal application. I want to talk about when we are always celebrating justice. This was the Sunday Sermon preview this week. If justice at every level was always perfectly and fully applied, would you celebrate your own consequences? Have you ever, just for a moment, stopped to take inventory of all the justice you've deserved in your life but escaped? I mean, the easiest place to look is traffic, right? That's that's where I went for like an hour. Then I moved on to other things. Um, Before you celebrate justice served on others, you should probably stop and consider how much justice you have deserved across your life but have escaped completely. Like, you know, that guy I told you about that blew by you 90 miles an hour. Have you ever gone 90? No, not you people. Let me just tell you, I don't believe any of you actually love justice. Before I start this, my focus today is not on the verdict. My focus is on this passage in Mark to teach an important truth that I do not want you to miss. Don't take me wrong. I'm not talking about my opinion on the verdict because that'd be an easy thing to talk about. What I'm going to talk about is a deeper, far more more difficult concept for all of you. And here it is you really don't love justice at all. You actually hate it. Now we, like justice, served against our enemies. Those we believe that somehow we are better than in some area. But that's about where our love for justice stops. In fact, our anger towards family, spouses, friends, our anger in sports or other drivers... (laughs) You know what what all that anger really is? It's about us wanting others to face justice. And if it need be at our hands, so be it. Let me speed up and cut that son of a gun off. I'll teach you. Because you've never deserved to be cut off. Whether it's, you know, big justice like this trial that we had this week, or little justice, like a traffic ticket. We want people whose sinfulness has impacted us to face the full brunt of sweet justice, don't we? They deserve it. They should get it. We hope for it. We pray for it. We want it. And when it happens, we are glad. We love justice when it is served on others. We are convinced are guilty. But we don't love justice when we deserve it. How often have you heard someone say, Man, I hope I get everything I deserve? I hope the judge just throws the book at me and just relentlessly says, you know what, you're done, pal. Man, I I will celebrate that. That will be awesome. <laughs> Said no one ever. But you know what happens when we celebrate justice? It's actually a very self righteous celebration. Our thirst for justice, and let me explain why we thirst for justice. There's a reason. It's part of the image of God because God also thirsts for justice. But in our flawed, sinful state, our understanding of justice is so corrupted, it's so one sided. The justice we cheer is determined, in fact, and carried out by flawed people who all deserve some type of justice themselves. It's people who are guilty judging other people who are guilty, and it's been that way since the beginning of human history. I mean, now, sometimes, and sometimes humanity gets it right. But for the most part, justice in human hands is a complete total crapshoot, Right? In response to the verdict, I saw, I mean, I probably saw like 50 posts with this verse, and many of them that posted this weren't Christians. They just liked how the verse sounded, because it sounded like a celebration of justice. Here it is, ready? Amos 5.24, but let justice roll down like waters, let righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Doesn't that sound wonderful? See, many see it as a celebratory expression. I saw that like 50 times. Then I just had to say, you know what? These people have no idea what they're writing. They see it as an expression of celebrating justice, but it's not. You know what it actually is? If you look at it in context, it's God condemning self-righteousness. Look at the other verses that are in Amos chapter 5, verses 21 to 23, right before the verse that everybody loves to quote. Ready? This is the one. I hate, I despise your feasts, in other words, your religion. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offering of your fatted animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your hymns and your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. And then he says, instead, let justice flow like waters. (laughs) What is God saying in Amos? He's pointing out the hypocrisy of those who think they want justice. Mm, They really don't. God condemns self-righteousness of those celebrating justice heaped on others. That's what the whole concept of Amos 5 is. They were celebrating God's justice on people who did not believe the way they did. And God said, you're concerned about them? Let me tell you about you. Now, do you want justice to flow? God condemns those who see themselves as better than other people. Do you, church, really want justice to flow like a river? Is that what you really want? Would you like that? Would Would you like God to say, you know what, as of today... I'm gonna let justice flow like a river. Everyone that ever deserved anything is gonna get it in spades. Would you like that? Would you go away encouraged? I can't wait for Monday when justice starts flowing like a river, man. (laughs) That is gonna be awesome. (laughs) Sadly, today, you know what happens though? When we celebrate justice, most of our celebration of justice, sadly, is driven by ideology, it's driven by culture, and it's driven by politics. We want those outside of our circle of ideology, culture, or politics to face the full wrath of justice. We wait for it, we crave it, we're thirsty for it, we want the headlines to hit, finally got them, yes. Yet, you know what, we are less interested in justice served on those in our camp. I mean, we hope that what they're being investigated for is not true, or that if it is true, justice will just go a little easy. Come on, just understand. See, celebrating justice, listen to me carefully. Celebrating justice when it's applied to others is so easy. But even celebrating justice on the guilty, in fact, takes some measure of obliviousness to your own depravity. Like when you're celebrating justice on someone else, you have no thought of, well, you know what? I'm probably just as guilty as they are. You're thinking, yeah, get them. And that's what I feel. Celebrating justice at any level requires a level of, and I've used this term with you guys before, what I've called depravity amnesia, where you forget about your own depravity. It was in my first book on Philippians, uh, available for $15 on uh, Amazon, on audio, (laughs) Kindle, or paperback. Um, But... The question is then, if that's the case, then how should we respond to justice? I mean, I believe justice, um, see if you can follow me here, even though it's hard, I believe if we have the right spiritual frame of mind, justice should never be celebrated. It should be feared. Justice should serve as a stark reminder of our own exposure if justice were fully carried out on what we deserve. Because the moment, let me just tell you, this is the good part, the moment that you recognize justice not as a celebration but as a warning sign, that is a true test that you have arrived to the place of spiritual understanding. A warning of what our consequences would look like if we faced all the justice we deserve, both on earth and after this life. If I had gotten a ticket for every time I've sped, well, I would not have a whole lot of money left. I would probably be taking an Uber everywhere. I would not have a license anymore. My wife will tell you this is true. I'm going to give you a quote. And many people have read this quote. They've probably even said this quote, but they've actually said it wrong. You ever heard that quote, except for a but for the grace of God, there go I? That's actually not the quote. Here's the quote. But for the grace of God, there goes John Bradford. Now, somebody talking about John? Well, no, it's John talking. Let me tell you who John Bradford was. They know this quote is, but for the grace of God, there go I, but the correct quote is written on the screen for you. I'm going to leave it up there the rest of the sermon. John Bradford was actually a famous Reformation preacher in the 1500s. He was executed by Queen Mary, who we think of as Bloody Mary, for preaching the gospel you know when he said this you know what inspired him to say except for the grace of God there goes John Bradford it was the one day where he saw a group of violent deserving criminals being rightly executed for violent crimes Does that sound familiar they had been convicted and they were being executed and John didn't see their execution as well good Justice prevails. He didn't celebrate their conviction. He didn't celebrate their execution. You know what it did? It reminded him of the grace and mercy that he desperately needed if he was going to escape the justice he deserved. It reminded him of how if justice were fully delivered upon him, he would never be able to withstand the consequences. So with the soldiers, the Sanhedrin, the crowd... Justice should remind us that we have no room to celebrate, especially if we got everything we deserve. If you think about it, celebrating justice served on others implies you are somehow superior to them. Well, I promise you, you may think you are, but you're not. The scripture says the heart of man is so wicked, no man knows the depths of its wickedness. That sounds really negative, Pastor Joe, but there's a good news, a good ending to this. Justice should be a reminder of how just like Barabbas and the soldiers, Jesus, this is what it should remind you when you see justice carried out, Jesus willingly endured the justice that you deserve. When we see other people receive justice, our first thought would be, you know what, I deserve justice, but Jesus took it for me. Instead of, yes, they got what was coming to them, how about, without grace, I'm just like them? What's a more humble, attractive response? And when someone else faces justice, how about we just let it humble us? How about we let it remind us of just how much justice we have escaped on earth? and life after because of the humble work of jesus and then after we recognize that well then comes the celebration not the justice they have received but the mercy and grace that we through the work of jesus have been given at that point when you recognize that amos doesn't reply to you apply to you anymore you know why because you're not arrogant you're not self-righteous you know what you're saying I'm no better than anyone else. Jesus, please save me. At that point, that's when the celebration of justice occurs, when you realize, I didn't receive what I deserve. Thank you, Jesus. Because except for God's grace, there goes John Bradford. There goes Joe Davis. Put your name in there. Heavenly Father, we... Are guilty of so many things. Many of them we don't even recognize. Things we've done in secret, things we've done in private, things we've been caught but didn't have to pay a price for. We're guilty of celebrating others' justice while we escape consequences. Lord, when we see justice carried out on others, Lord, keep us from the arrogance that we saw in Amos chapter 5 of celebrating it, make us humble and say, except for the grace of God, there goes Joe Davis. Lord, what we really love about justice is that somehow, some way, for some reason, you allowed us through your work on the cross to escape it by the skin of our teeth. And in that, that, my friends, is worth celebrating. Amen. We love you guys. Thank you so much for being here. Have a great week. If you need anything, let us know. We've got your back. Now go and celebrate grace, not justice.